That's why I think I'm not going to be. I'm not going to be good on a podcast or anything like this. I try and avoid talking about Prussia as much as possible on my tours, and nobody ever asks about it because nobody cares at all. And I'm glad because I don't want to talk about it as well, right? So I I completely avoid talking, and nobody on the tours they don't care. They they you can just see them. They're like, when's he going to talk about Hitler? That's what they care about. From the 4000 Hertz headquarters in Berlin, Germany, this is Walrus and the Bear with a story about those damned Prussians. But first, this short message. Commercial break. Spring is upon us. That means we can finally turn off these wicked heating machines and enjoy our season without electricity. But then, what about the fridge where you store all your summer smoothies, your ice cube machine, your electric fan, and of course, the appliances in your home fitness studio. They use power, coming directly from your energy provider. And any idea where they get their power from? I didn't think so. SwitchUp.de makes it super easy for you to compare energy providers and make the best choice for you. Now you can head there now before summer is upon us and use the following link. SwitchUp.de slash Fiat1000Hz. Booyah! Even though people say Berlin doesn't have any centers, it has multiple ce- I see this as the actual center of Berlin. Geographically speaking, you're absolutely right, Walrus. We're also in the previous center of what would have been old Prussian Berlin, which is what we're going to be talking about in this podcast. And then directly opposite from us would have been the former city palace. And that was the center of state power, state government power in the old Prussian Berlin. Today, we're speaking about Prussia and moreover, how these Prussians came to disappear. Let's talk about this building over here because we, we have a beautiful map. So we're actually standing in the Humboldt box right now. The Humboldt box is uh, this building right in front of the Stadtschloss and it's supposed to persuade everyone of what a fantastic project this actually is. And in the middle of the exhibition space, there's a big model of the former Prussian palace. Right in front of us here and a huge reconstruction of, what is it? Uh, yeah, Berlin around 1900. And here we can see the palace actually right in front of us. Uh, could you describe it a little bit of how it looked like back in 1900? and it's rectangular in shape Um, it basically takes up the entire width of the uh, museum island we'll be coming back to the palace later on or at least what's left of it first we need to explain something of rather drastic importance to the history of germany we're talking of one of the greatest vanishing acts of the 20th century the dissolution of prussia control council law number 46 this is marcus collar February the 25th, 1947. Marcus is doing his PhD in post-war Prussian legacy in East Germany. The Prussian state, which from early days has been a bearer of militarism and reaction in Germany, has de facto ceased to exist. And what, what is Marcus reading from? Well, he's reading from a statement of the four occupying powers of Germany after the Second World War. And these four powers decided to completely dissolve this particular German state. Okay, so, but, um, big whoop. I mean, the Germans lost the war, uh, the Allies wanted to set things straight, and uh, militaristic pressure had to pay. That something so enormous and deeply complex and textured as a state that contained tens of millions of people could be defined in these two words, militarism and reaction, is obviously a very crude form of uh, historical reductionism. Okay, fair play to, uh, to Marcus Koller. Um, he will be helping us today breaking down that decision of 1947. Was it right to make Prussia disappear? And if not, um, where are all the Prussian fan clubs?
So Prussia was essentially an independent kingdom within the German Confederation. A 19th century federation consisting of all kinds of kingdoms, principalities and states of which Prussia was the biggest. Which became the unifying feature of Germany. In 1871, under the auspices of one particular Prussian called Otto von Bismarck, renowned today as the greatest European statesman of the 19th century, Germany became one country, though Prussia remained the dominating feature within it. Culturally and politically, Within Germany, it was almost hegemonic. Almost all of the important political and military figures within Germany came from Prussia, including the German Kaisers. It encompasses about two-thirds of the German population throughout the imperial era. At its height in 1939, the state of Prussia counted for 42 million people. <laughs> Whoa, that is, that is about, um, well, it's about eight times the size of Denmark today. Yeah, exactly. Every two out of three Germans came from Prussia. And ultimately became almost synonymous with Imperial Germany itself. Let's get to the year 1947. Have a look at over there. Um, We're back at the city palace. Now, as we all know, um, the Second World War heavily affected the city of Berlin. In February 1945, the palace was hit by two bombing raids. Could you maybe explain a little bit about what happened um, after 1945 with the palace? The palace, by that point, well, had been gutted during the Second World War, and right now we're looking at pictures of that destruction. We're looking at, you know, pieces of the wall being fall, uh, pieces of the facade of the of the building being um, crumbled away. And then uh, by 1950, the question came up of do we want to rebuild or do we want to demolish? In 1950, they decide to blow it up. That yes, they were going to in fact demolish rather than rebuild. And that's kind of a big deal. I mean, the Prussians ruled from this location since the late 15th century. That's almost 500 years. Now, one could argue, of course, that the palace was in a bad shape due to the Second World War, but there were other factors at play. The big Prussian vanishing act of 1947. Yeah, well, it's, I mean, it's something that was contested pretty much from the outset, but not by anyone who could have really changed it. It wasn't, I mean, an allied control council law is not really a place for historical nuance. So let's dig into this decision. Why did Prussia have to go? Who came up with this idea? Uh, Britain. Yeah, it was a British initiative. Um, so, World War II is over, Germany lost, and is now occupied by four allies. Britain, the United States, France, and the Soviet Union. Um, it was originally a British initiative. Um, the US and France supported it. It was debated. Um, the, the, the law was signed in February 1947 and then was formalised at a meeting of the foreign ministers in Moscow in March 1947. And there you have it. Prussia ceased to exist. So, but uh, what I don't understand is that, so Germany lost to the Second World War, right? So what has, what, what has Prussia got to do with all of this? Well, for that, you have to get into the heads of the Allies. For them, they were maybe not so much fighting Germans as they were fighting the Nazis, and they believed that... National Socialism was a manifestation of a much longer lineage um, in German history. The same lineage, uh, particularly for the French, that had um, caused the wars of 1870-71 and 1914, 
and this was something agreed upon by the British and the Americans as well. So the Allies are trying to eradicate their opponent, really getting Germany under control. So for them, it's important to extract the root that lies beneath Nazi Germany. What was considered particularly malicious about National Socialism was its aggression and its militarism and its expansionism. Characteristics that were seen even today as inherent to the Prussian state. But for the French and the British particularly, the German military machine of the 1930s and 1940s was essentially the same as that which had uh, unleashed war in 1914. And if you go back a bit further, uh, the 19th century is one in which France and Prussia fought out many a conflict. So there's quite a bit of rivalry there. Also, bear in mind that the end of the First World War and the beginning of the Second are only about 20 years apart. I mean, that is well within one lifetime. And in both instances, the Germans were seen as the main agitator. The idea that Hitler was made possible by the longer traditions of Prussian militarism and Prussian expansionism was something quite commonly heard in France and Britain. The idea that the Prussians and the Nazis are connected is not just something that the French and the British believe. So under the Third Reich, there's an explicit political attempt to anchor this new nationalist movement, this national uprising to the longer traditions of Prussia. So even the Nazis themselves tried to make that connection. Certainly Hitler wanted himself to be portrayed as, uh, as a sort of inheritor of Frederick the Great and Bismarck. And now, Frederick was the Prussian king and Bismarck the Prussian that unified Germany. There was a postcard um, in, the, in the Third Reich and a poster. And I had a picture of Frederick the Great it's quite famous. Frederick the Great, Bismarck, um, Hindenburg, and then Hitler. And the caption underneath it read, That which the king conquered, the prince formed, and the field marshal defended, is saved and unified by the soldier. Now the soldier, of course, being Adolf Hitler. So there's actually quite a number of reasons why the Prussians got so entangled with the Nazis and why the Allies actually wanted to get rid of them. In some ways, it's considered an exorcism. It's removing the demon... Uh, from German history. But you could also quite easily argue against this connection as well. I mean, I guess it's probably worth stressing how how very few of the leading national socialists were actually Prussians. Yes, I think it's also worth stressing where the Nazis had their headquarters and like what is considered to be their home turf. I mean, obviously, the national socialism has its origins in, in, in Bavaria. I said Bavaria, exactly. I mean, it's, uh, it's just a kingdom, you know, just like, like... Prussia that became part of the German Empire in 1871. But Bavaria didn't get dissolved. Bavaria didn't get dissolved. Weistein. I really don't know why Bavaria didn't get dissolved. It was never associated. It never had the same types of... It never had the... It was never associated with the same uh, historical traditions as Prussia. So, okay, so but where then does this idea to dissolve Prussia as sort of the bearer of militarism and reaction come from? I guess also, you know, these sort of ideas like Prussian militarism and, 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 and the negative interpretation of these... Prussian values 
um, did have their origins in 19th century, particularly Southern Catholic particularist traditions as well. So some of the negative connotations about Prussia came from its long rivalry with its southern neighbour, Bavaria. And again, it goes to show the point that this basis of uh, dissolving Prussia in 1947 as a bearer of reactionism and militarism um, was convenient for almost everybody. Okay, so we've been talking quite a bit about Prussia's connection to the Nazis, its characteristics being very militaristic, but there's one other reason why Prussia had to go. The other reason was, however, that maybe Prussia retained in its, at least in its Weimar form, or however it was, you know, its ghost form in the Third Reich, could have been used as an instrument to cement control over all of Germany. So, and to, to, to have this clear, you have to sort of paint a, a mental map of Germany in your head. Are you... Are you ready, Otter? Yes. All right. Okay, let's do this. So Germany got divided into four sectors, right? Right. So we have an American sector, we have a British sector, we have a French sector, and we have a Soviet sector. Uh-huh. Well, guess in whose sector the state of Prussia was mostly lying? Dutch. <laughs> Jeez, that went over the... Oh, sorry. <laughs> okay, sorry. <laughs> the most important parts of Prussia were lying in the Soviet sector. The traditional and historical core of Prussia fell into the Soviet zone. So if they could just hold on to Prussia for now, if they could keep it as a solid entity, that would mean that if Germany got back onto its feet again, you know, later on, they could actually have a big influence on how that Germany would do. When it became increasingly clear that this was not going to be the case throughout 1946, throughout late 1946, the Soviets gave in and decided to agree to it. That is basically what what, what happened to, to Prussia. It got dissolved in 1947, mic drop, Prussia is out. All right, so it's, it starts off being this thing of, like, it's attached to the Second World War, so it's, it's got all these Nazi connotations, this militarism, this reactionism. So it's kind of, it's, it's contained within those ideas of that. But it's also, it's not just about the Nazi connection, is it? No, it's, it's also a bit further back. I mean, the British and the French particularly have these ideas of, like, they were fighting in the 1870s, they were already fighting Prussia. And then in 1914 and 1918, the First World War, that's also closely connected to Prussia as well. So they have that in the back of their heads, too. Mm-hmm. And they want to create this federalist Germany. They want to create a Germany that's a little bit more easy to control. And they think, you know, if you have a huge superpower kind of like Prussia was um, and then became, you know, the largest, most dominant state in the whole of United Germany after 1871, if you have that, then potentially Prussia could again become a political force to reckon with. And so they want to break that up. They want to make Germany a much more manageable federalist nation. Uh, but we're actually going to talk more about uh, after the break is what Prussia still is today. So it got dissolved in 1947. What happened afterwards? What is Prussia in the minds of people today? So what I would like to talk about a little bit um, is something that is very dear to me about the entire podcast that we're making. It's uh, the music. You might not realize this completely, but almost all of the music that you hear in the podcast and almost all the episodes that we've been making so far uh, is original music. It's incredible. I mean, especially if you listen to the last episode, um, the episode on the U1, it was fantastic. It really created this this beautiful atmospheric sound to go along with this with this rather you know a quaint episode about about the UN and, and the history of the UN. So I just I just wanted to you know just put some love out there. A wet slippery hug from my otter paws out to all those people who made such wonderful and and, and all those people who who've done so much and 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 made the podcast what it is. Big big thank you to all the producers of the music. Back to the show. So 
Yeah, so let's talk about. So we are、um, so、back at the City Palace in Berlin. Yeah, so, 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 Prussia gets dissolved, and they decide to blow up the palace in the 1950. Now, the reason why we're doing this back and forward between the palace and the dissolution of Prussia is that the former Stadtschloss, as it is called, is actually a pretty good barometer of how people feel about the Prussians today. I told you it was a roller coaster of a ride. This story is an absolute roller coaster. I mean, so you have like the demolition of the old palace in 1950 by Walter Albrecht's communist government, and then he builds his own palace, or they build their own palace, and it's opened in 19. 1976, and that stays open for another 14 years. And then you've got unification, and then there's all this like fierce battle of like, what should we do with this area now, and what should we do with this building? And finally, they come to the conclusion in 2006: let's get rid of it, let's destroy it. Now, how did that happen? And also, how do people feel about Prussia today? That's what we'll be discussing in the second part of this historic schizophrenia. <laughs> Song called "Old Comrades," played on a barrel organ that belongs to a man called Hans Georg. Einmal die Woche. Once a week. Dann stehe ich meistens da vorne vor dem historischen Museum. So he's standing in front of the German Historical Museum, a stone's throw away from the old city palace.、Uh, we bumped into this 80-year-old man on Unter den Linden、uh, because of his bright blue military uniform. Das ist Garde Artillerie. So that's apparently what you wore when you were in the artillery brigade around 1905. Now we've both seen Hans Georg before during our tours, and what is striking is that he not only waves the flag of Berlin, but also the Prussian flag as well. Na, die Leute erinnern sich schon und sprechen auch preußische. Hans Georg sees a small revival of Prussia, with people becoming more and more interested in its culture. Then, what is typical Prussian? Now, typical Prussian is correctness, understand, fleiß, and bescheidenheit. So that's correctness, decency, diligence, and modesty. Man sagt, oder der alte Fritz auch, preußische Tugenden. So these are all Prussian virtues. And he also doesn't fail to mention old Fritz. Ah, yes, Frederick the Great. The focus of Prussia, at least in the public imagination, I suppose, through、um, popular、um, through popular histories or through television, film, tourism, is the 18th century Prussia. One focused particularly on Frederick the Great. Well, for. for, for Fritz. So here's where our story gets a bit skewed, because when people talk about the memory of Prussia, they could either be talking about 18th-century Frederick and his religious toleration and cultural flourishing. So a very open and enlightened sense of Prussia, or you could have people believing that the expansionist and militarist tendencies that manifested in National Socialism. Were emphatically Prussian in historical origin. So when when people are talking about Prussia today, they're either talking about the things that Prussia added to a better Europe, or they're talking about the Prussia that would eventually be responsible for the rise of Adolf Hitler.、Mm. Yes, it's a struggle, and it's, it's、uh, this, this 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 argument and this theme is is very poisoned.、Yeah? This is Stefan Bender, president of the Prussian Association Berlin Brandenburg. But it's it's very it's very strong. In in the people's minds, that it is a conflict between Prussian and the Nazi regime, but I don't think so.、No? As so, we discussed earlier, the historic claims for the dissolution of Prussia are a bit dodgy. And so I have to to put 
the view on the good things of the Prussian history, and there are some good things, yeah. And so the Prussian Association tries to keep the Prussian values alive in today's Germany. Working and working hard and being honest and, and it's the inventor spirit and people know this, it's very common. But uh, they do not know very much about the Prussian history. Can you introduce yourself so that yeah. you know so that we can have your name on the yeah. on the podcast? Yeah, my name is uh, Stefan Görlich. I'm uh, working here for the uh, Förderverein. We are a private association. And we bumped into uh, Stefan while doing some recordings at the Stadtschloss. Uh, we are collecting the donations. And uh, they're taking care of the people who want to make a donation to the city palace. And when we asked him to explain to us a bit about Prussia, he tells us a bit about education reforms in the 18th century. Today, uh, in, in this year, we have got 300 years uh, school for all. And it was an innovation, a Prussian innovation. So, of, of course, something that significantly changed the level of education of everyone living in the Prussian kingdom. I'm very sad that... I haven't heard anything about that. Now, today, we forgot that. It's, uh, it's a typical uh, for today's uh, Germany. Uh, All right. So why is he so upset about that? Well, I think he means that when people think about Prussia, they, they still think about militarism and helmets and stuff like that, and not about the changes that they brought about. So he goes on about how the first king of Prussia was all about culture. Berlin got a place where... Uh, great um, architecture and, and sculptures um, were made. And also how in 1810 one of the former palaces was redesigned. It's the first modern university was founded here. All the important people that came to visit. We had great visitors like uh, Wallenstein, uh, Peter the Great uh, or uh, even Mozart played a concert. That is all for me um, represented by this building. and The Stadtschloss, the city palace on Museum Island. There's something else he mentions and I think it's quite fitting for our story on Prussia. Um, things we all know have been practiced the first time. So he goes on to talk about the use of the city palace as a psychology institute in the early 20th century. These experiences, uh, experiments uh, was, um, you, you see a an image of a woman and you can see it as an old woman or a young lady and it's, it's changing. It's, uh, and you probably have seen this experiment before. Yeah, I, I think I have, but I, I think I saw one with, uh, with a duck and, uh, and a rabbit. Okay. Yeah, so I mean the, the idea is you have one picture and if you focus you can see either a duck or a rabbit. So a duck or a rabbit depending on which one you want to see, right? Exactly. So but you can't see both at the same time. Uh, in German, Gestalt. And I found this idea rather fascinating when discussing the Prussians. It seems like you can only really talk about one aspect of their history. You either talk about militarism and imperialism and expansion, etc. Or you talk about Frederick the Great, the Enlightened King, and all of the reforms that he made in the 18th century. I see what you mean. I mean, it's like a like a cohesive or maybe like a nuanced understanding of what Prussia is doesn't really exist in Germany. You either see rabbits or you see a duck. I mean, that's kind of messed up, right? What do you mean? Well, like, how do people get so conflicted over this? I mean, isn't there some sort of like a, like a reality to things, like historic facts and, and people people agreeing on this? Well, I think we need Marcus Collar for this. And I guess that's also one of the most important outcomes of, consider if I jump back to 1947 briefly, um, one of the important um, outcomes for the longer term legacy of Prussia of 1947 was that in this one act, in this one stroke of the pen, Prussia was transformed from an existing geographical and political and constitutional entity into a 
substance of memory. Okay, so what on earth does that mean? What happens at that very moment is that suddenly Prussia becomes up for grabs. It's malleable, it can be more easily manipulated, it can be instrumentalized for any kind of political ends without any reference to an existing, um, to, to an existing reality. Okay, surely that is not okay in history, right? I mean, like scientific history, that you you don't have to refer to any sort of reality. Well, firstly, I mean, there's no such thing as as reality. There's sort of, you know... Alternative facts. Alternative facts or perceived reality or, you know, what gets talked about and what doesn't get talked about. And secondly, they're not completely falsifying history. They're simply putting emphasis on some aspects. And it's not long after the dissolution that small strides are made away from this concept of militaristic Prussia. Suddenly, the dark sides of Prussia became increasingly balanced by the light sides of Prussia, as it were. Things like... um, Things like um, Prussian culture, um, you know, Prussian architecture, um, um, the Prussian Enlightenment, Enlightenment figures, including Frederick. So, and is there a reason why exactly all of this happens around the 1970s? One reason is just basic generational change. So, so remember when we were talking about how people remember the aggressiveness of Germany during the First World War and how that was related to the Prussian emperor? Mm. Well, around the 1970s, there are not too many people around anymore who actually like personally remember that. So Prussia can be somewhat normalized in historical and political um, self-understandings, I suppose. So I, I do get that, but what about the connections of Prussia and the Nazis? So by the 1970s, people start to realize that the crimes of the Nazi regime didn't really have much to do with the Prussians. And also this increasingly over, increasingly overwhelming focus of the crimes of the Third Reich no longer being so much in military conquest, um, but particularly in relation to the Holocaust. I see. And, and, and that just, I suppose, would have opened the floodgates somewhat to be allowed to investigate Prussia in all of its historical complexity without necessarily having to start with the idea of, I know that Prussia was like this, however maybe we should introduce some nuance into it. It was possible to go straight into the nuance by this point. We do have to realise, though, that this is just baby steps in the 1970s. I mean, the rebuilding of the city palace as they're doing now would have been unthinkable back in the day. Now, another thing that would have been unthinkable back in the 70s, but what the Prussian Association would like to reintroduce is the notion of servility to the fatherland. And yes, after the Second World War, um, it was it was impossible to talk about something like proud of the, the fatherland. Yeah? And, but there are some things we can be proud of. Yeah? I do agree. And I often feel proud of being able to live here and taking part in German society, but personally, I don't really feel comfortable expressing that pride into some sort of archaic form of patriotism. Now, another principle of the association that Mr. Bender and I discuss is the idea to resurrect a free state of Prussia. This was built on the uh, internet's uh, homepage um, by the former president. It's not that serious, yeah? On the one hand, we have some Freistaat, and Bayern is a Freistaat, and Sachsen is a Freistaat, so it's no problem. But um, the Prussian was negotiated and put down in 1947, so that's no really thing. And uh, at the moment, we are talking about 
we should put this away. Now, Steven Bender has been the president of the Prussian Association Berlin Brandenburg for almost two years. And he also tells me that it's time to bring these principles up to date and see how the true values of Prussia can be of use in today's Germany or even in Europe. And working hard and, and spending not too much money and all these things, this inventor sp spirit, this is very modern too in Germany and that's one of the reasons why we are still so strong and why our economy is strong. And we need these values, we need these values in, in Europe and we need these values in Germany. This association might have Germany's and even Europe's best interests at heart, though I don't think these nostalgic views of Prussia are of much use to today's society. They feel like these overly romanticized and clearly one-sided views of an age gone by and without too much historical nuance. But it also shows that the dissolution of Prussia left yet another hole in Germany's past and thus its identity. I think what it shows is that there is a there is a certain amount of proud history um, of Prussia that I feel has yes been overshadowed by the events of the 20th century. The I think in a way when we look at the longer term legacy of Prussia and that extends into the future the poisoning of the the, the, the poisoning of the idea of Prussia by the National Socialists has had such a tremendous impact. I think if you're speaking about Prussia still today and you ask people on the street what they think about it, and then even if he, we had our discussions for quite a number of months now about this, there always seems to cling more negative elements to Prussia than positive elements. And even if you're talking about cooling off, I mean, there are building a $600 million, a million euro building of the former city palace in the middle of Berlin. Yeah, and I think it's really important that we do state what is going in that in that building. You know, it's, it's not going to be yeah. some palace for some kind of king or Kaiser who thankfully no longer rules over Germany anymore. What is the what is the Humboldt, Humboldt Forum going to be? The Humboldt Forum uh, is actually going to be a museum uh, inside. It's going to house the ethnological collections and the Asian collection. So it's going to be a sixth museum on Museum Island. I suppose that what is going to fill it in terms of the Humboldt Forum is also a way of showing yeah, as you suggest, that it's it's not it's not really um, it, 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 it's it's sort of an attempt to move away from the idea that this is just a sort of exercise in 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 Prussia love, or that it's more than just a kind of Prussia fetish in Berlin. I think this personality is actually totally created into or or is totally sort of manifested in the split personality of the building itself, right? You've got on the outside it's this baroque old-fashioned piece of architecture that is being re-resurrected from the ashes of history and turned into the centerpieces of Berlin architecture and on the inside you've got a rather like radical museum that is attempting basically to, to be ethnographically represented uh, representative of the entire world. So it's like this really, really ambitious ethnographic museum inside an uh, old school, um, harking back to the olden times. So I think it's like the split personality is even embodied within the building itself. In, in terms of your interpretation of Prussian history, do you think Berlin is a, is a Prussian city? Yeah. No, Berlin, Berlin is a place of perpetual transformation. If you look for Prussia in Berlin, you'll find it, but you'll be annoyed that you won't find a Prussian Berlin, I think.
We're also, uh, of course, very curious to find out what you guys think about all of this. Um, you listeners, uh, do you feel Prussia is overly negative? Do you feel uh, there is actually some good parts of Prussia that we can use? Uh, do you feel that we should bring them back? Or do you have something like, well, let's, let's keep the past for what it is and uh, let's move on? Um, you can of course do that by uh, by sending us an email, send us some love, send us some um, some ideas that you have about this uh, particular topic. Um, send a message on Twitter or on Facebook or something like that because I think this is a very interesting topic to talk about. So we just wanted to extend a warm otter and walrus hug and thank you to Marcus Collar who really provided such wonderful historic backbone. And also a shout out to Darren O'Byrne who we use to bounce all kinds of crazy ideas off over the past couple of months. Thanks also to Ken Walsh, Hans Georg, Stefan Bender, Stefan Gerlich of the Förderverein, and Dennis Beemke. Production help came from the Radio Wizards at 4000 Hertz, Nicholas Semak, uh, Henrik Effertz, and Christian Konradi. You did marvelous there. <laughs> Music by Svetnik, Mark Schilders, and L.Y. Folidis. That was it. It's not all black and white. Walrus and Otter out. A 4000 Hertz production.